I'm Esther Almar. Welcome. You're listening to The Spin. It is that time for an hour where smart is sexy. The Spin, our weekly all-women of colour media panel. I'm coming to you live from Accra, Ghana. We are on air internationally across the United States, here in Ghana and in London. This program is brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium. Today on The Spin, we continue our Living Legacy series. We're talking with and hearing from daughters of the diaspora and those born and raised on the continent. They are sharing how they are reimagining success. Society tells us what success looks like and how it should make us feel. We'll be hearing from women who moved nations, left careers, marriages, movements, chose new nations, new notions of success, and are building movements. They will talk about the risk and the reward, the toll on their health, the challenge and the change they chose and choose. They come from the worlds of law and yoga, governance and sexual violence, art and activism. All of that coming up. Our Living Legacy guest this week is Nana Akutia Hansen, a feminist, a poet, an artist, a media maven, an activist, a pan-Africanist and a leader working to end Ghana's rape culture. Nana Akutia Hansen is a drama queen with a mission. She's the founder of Drama Queens, an NGO that uses art and activism to challenge, engage, confront and end rape culture right here in Ghana. It's an umbrella organization that includes Let's Talk Consent. And these are workshops carried out in high schools and universities, teaching consent, engaging students to confront their gender ideas that shape Ghana's culture where sexual violence is so, so normalized. Nana Kosi Hansen is host of The Lounge at YFM, which is a youth radio station, and a co-host of Celebrity Fan Zone on Ghana's GH1 TV. She's also a writer at ThisIsAfrica.com and has an arts and creative writing blog at Dark Mosaic. .blogspot.com. Welcome, welcome, Nana Kosi Hansen. Hi, thanks for having me. Arts and activism, the power to present, feel, engage and change. You founded your company, Drama Queens, that was back in March 2016. And it's described as, quote, telling the varying stories of the modern woman, particularly black women on the continent and in the diaspora through edgy modern plays, a form of political theatre. Drama Queens seeks to challenge the status quo, breaking barriers and empowering women by engendering a richer conversation around women's lives, their roles in society and in world progress, unquote. And so your productions include the November 2017, The Seamstress of St. Francis Street. That was a play about rape within our families, protection or lack thereof, and consequences or lack thereof. (laughs) (laughs) There was the May 2017, Until Someone Wakes Up, a powerful, powerful play based on real people's stories and experiences of sexual violence in Ghana. And then there was the May 2018 Just Like Us. That was a multimedia confection on homosexuality based on African stories and experiences, but also homophobia, judgment, joy, and love. Poet, writer, director, activist, pan-Africanist. Nana Kosi Hansen, you do a lot. Too many titles. <laughs> As we say in Ghana, you do all. You do all. You do all. 
So talk to me about why you chose arts and activism to engage this particular work of challenging and dealing with rape culture here in Ghana. I'm an artist. The kind of art I particularly love is acting. And so I, I did come into the arts world through acting and, of course, theatre as a result of that. And I'm someone who is easily moved by anything artistic. So like a really good film or a really good play or a really good actress or actor just saying this really good monologue. And I'm also definitely an activist. And I thought, I mean, doing my work in the media has made me go through a lot of periods of debates and arguments about issues. You know, there's so much you can say and talk and so many facts you can pull. But sometimes, and for people who definitely do not want to change their minds, like if you meet a very homophobic person or you meet someone who is very misogynistic and does not want to change their views, no matter what debates you present to them, they just will stay at where they are. But there is this thing with art and and its ability to touch you emotionally, move you emotionally. You can have a logical plan of this and this is how it should be. But when you actually feel the emotives of an actress playing out someone else's spirit or humanity on stage and just hear that person's story, it's a whole different thing from the logic that you have from your theory and books, you know. And I just then eventually thought to merge the two, theater and the activism, to tell these stories, so particularly women's stories. And that's specifically because when I left the University of Ghana and I tried to do a couple of theater productions afterwards, what happened was every role I was getting was was a very one-dimensional role. Usually the man is the lead character. His character description is well-rounded and, and rich and complex. And in my character is just as one-dimensional accessory to him. You know, So it was also my movement to try to make more richer theater productions that center women's stories. So that's why I decided to add theater and activism to tell these stories, tell women's very complex stories. We are not just wives or girlfriends on stage. You know, we are full human beings negotiating our way in the world. And of course, like you mentioned, just like us was to deal specifically with homophobia. And homophobia, as you know, is very entrenched. So we definitely had here to Ghana have... Here in Ghana particularly. Uh, we definitely had to have an artistic and emotional conversation about that. So the play wasn't to sit here and give you facts, logic, whatever. It was just to he- let you hear the real story of an African, a Ghanaian, LGBT man or woman or non-binary person, you know, really. I think I've seen all the Drama Queen's productions so far. Mm. I've seen Until Someone Wakes Up. I saw Just Like Us. I saw The Seamstress of St. Francis Street. And I'm somebody who deeply loves art and theatre. And I think for everybody, you know, I think art steps in where a journalism ends. Yes. So you may have the information But I think what art enables you to do is feel a connection beyond whatever your mind will enable you to engage or explore. Mm -hmm. And I certainly agree that the emotionality, which I think is one of the most underestimated powers in terms of how we even move through these issues, is the thing that art can do with a particular particular power. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a bit more in a bit more detail about this. Certainly, Until Someone Wakes Up, which really featured all the different types of scenarios that exist in a culture like Ghana, where sexual violence is normalized. I would argue it's, it's minimalized, it's even trivialized. Mm-hmm. 
there is for so many girls and women, and certainly starting with girls, there's just the expectation that you're going to have to be someone's prey and navigate that and figure it out. It's just an expectation. There is not the expectation that there should even be an outrage because it's so normalized. Mm -hmm. And one of the powerful things for me about Drama Queens and Until Someone Wakes Up was it was a reminder that this is not only not normal and not acceptable, but that it also has impact. Talk a bit about the process of of creating that and what you learned, but also what the cast learned, because it was a very powerful, very powerful Q&As that were part of the entire performance that I certainly listened to. Yeah. So Someone Wakes Up is actually a play that's already there. So it's kind of like the vagina monologues. That's already there and you just add your story. So what I did was I sought the rights to stage it here in Ghana. And then definitely the stories that would not resonate with Ghana, I had to, you know, do editing, take them out. And then I actually wrote real stories from experiences I've had and experiences that people shared with me for the play. So it was basically taking voice notes of people's stories and then sitting down to write monologues out of them and have them eventually staged with the actors. And it was it was heavy, you know, it was heavy. Let's start with the actors and actresses that were cast for this. Definitely because of the the content of the play, we definitely had to have a conversation about rape culture and consent and what they themselves thought about this, even though they were come to it as just actors. And there was one time during our conversation, one of the actors actually said, if it wasn't for this play, he did not know he had been raped because of certain notions, like you said, trivialized, normalized of how certain things happen. A lot of young boys in Ghana actually do lose their virginities to domestic helps at home. And this is what happened to him in this case. But then boys are told, oh, yeah, you're a man. That's the thing. You know, I, I broke my virginity to someone who's older, so it's cool. Till we started doing this play, then he realized mm, this was actually not a consensual thing that happened to me. I was young. And two other actresses also felt say because they were playing these roles and playing these stories they actually started to engage with their own issues and realized that yes they've also gone through this and so we did have to have a conversation about healing and what this play for them as actors how will also acting help in their healing and that was that was one of the most powerful things even if we didn't stage the play just the fact that I had, to, I had at least four people go through the motions of other people's stories to find their own story of abuse was, was powerful enough for me. And yes, the play did try to bring out other things around rape culture that we don't bring out. Like, for instance, there was a scene that talked about rape within LGBT communities because of the homophobia that happens. People in LGBT communities cannot just go up and say, I was also raped by this person because already in Ghana it's supposed to be you know, um, something illegal. And then the conversation on consent. We had this very humorous way of, of, of dealing with it, like pouring tea and keep pouring till, you know, it's, it was a funny twist on the idea of consent. So we try to use humor, drama, and comedy through through real life people's stories to tell these real stories of abuse and, and rape. And I don't know, from your end as an audience, how, how did you feel, you know, uh, through some of the scenes? You know, I found myself realizing that even the short time I'd lived there, that I had my own malaise mm. with hearing the stories mm. because they were such a common part of, of media. 
every week you open a story, there's a story of, we use this terrible word in Ghana, defilement, which yes. I hate and I refuse to yes. use. And the story of sexual violence, rape of somebody, it's often a child or a young person, or it's a congregant and it's a pastor. And I realized that it was becoming normalized to the point where you were, I was numbing to it. And I'm somebody who works with this area and does a lot of media and activism and work around this area in Ghana. And that listening to those stories reminded me of the inhumanity of sexual violence and the need to recognize that the sexual violence is beyond the moment of the actual violence. It is the legacy, particularly of untreated trauma, that is particularly for us in Ghana, where it is so minimalized and trivialized. There is no thought about how a life is impacted, changed, how somebody's journey is transformed as a result of this. And it's either that or it's the most extreme forms, the most horrific things that we will only respond to because everything else has become so normalized. So I was really, I felt like my own humanity and emotionality was re-engaged mm. and that it is something you I needed to be reminded was continually outrageous so that I know that intellectually but I think that's that's art's power yeah. to engage you emotionally and to reinvigorate what can actually become numb e- even unintentionally yeah but I was really also moved there was one Q&A where some of the actors spoke about that mm. that this was a piece of art that helped them disclose or reveal. The space was safe enough that they were able to do that. And I thought about that as arts, as a belonging space yeah. where the most painful of experiences can find home and can, can find voice. Yeah, so it was, it was powerful for yeah, me for that. Uh, there, was, there was this uh, st- story, the monologue, where there was a pastor who actually raped a woman. And there was this bit at the end of the monologue, which I added, which I thought was controversial, but I thought to add anyway, where he was like, that's why Jesus had no female disciples. And then the character who was raped said, yes, because they might have been raped by men of God, supposed men of God, because this is what is actually happening that we turn a blind eye to when we say, uh, touch not my anointed. Uh, these people are, are given positions of these divine beings, yet are doing very undivine things. And I hoped that the play would also point out that even if you are Christian, you know, this is what happens in these circles. How can you, you know, point this out? How can you call a pastor out for things like this? The Seamstress of St. Francis was another production. And that was much more specifically about what happens within a family when there's sexual violence within the family. And both the person who did the, who was the perpetrator is a family member. There's issues of feelings of betrayal and accusation. In this case, it's two sisters. One of the sisters was sexually violated by the uncle and then leaves, and it's how they come together and deal with this thing. And again, it's also based on a piece of work from back in the 1950s, right? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a period play set in 1960, actually. But that play is actually written by Mario Farwell in the States. So this is actually a real-life story I heard about his family. And so what we did was to just make it Ghanaian. Ghanaian-fied it. Yes, Ghanaian-fied it. I like that word. And said it right here in Ghana because it's a story, definitely, that still happens here. Right. Two sisters were actually abused by their uncle. And the younger sister, who was picked the most, 
ghost eventually felt betrayed by her older sister who she thought did nothing. So it was supposed to be this journey largely of how both sisters found healing between themselves with this uncle still in the picture. And also how suppressed trauma, how it plays out even years after the abuse. It was let me just say, I played I played the character Camilla, who actually, Camilla is the name of the original, but Coco is the Ghanaian version. And I played this character about twice, and it was just very heavy for me playing her role. It always made me drained. It made me feel like, you could definitely feel her spirits every time I take the script again. And you ju- you definitely have to go through some kind of, I don't know, healing afterwards. The very first time I played the, I did this play, it took a lot out of me. It affected my sexual relationships and, and things because I felt like it was the spirit of the character and what she was going through, which I had to enact on stage. So it was heavy. Both sisters and trying what, to find... You said it affected yeah. your sexual relationships? Yes, it did. It and did. What, what? I really take characters on. I take it even in my real life. What they call a method acting, I mm-hmm. guess, just to kind of feel in the shoes. Right. And this wasn't even intentional. This was just me actually starting to act like how Coco would act in real life with these men, not trust people, remember abuses, stay away, be vicious, all of those things. And it's what I was actually also doing. And when I was done with the play was when I realized, whoa, I'm doing other things too you know it's it's not just while i'm on stage it's when i'm off stage so whenever the we ended the play and lights came back on i felt very when the audience clapped for some weird reason i always felt why are you clapping this is this is a painful story why 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 are we clapping you know because i was still in that all that time and it was just because of how heavy that role was mm-hmm. let me not say her sister also went through a lot of trauma that was also abused but had to deal with being told that she's uglier also having to see her her uncle do this to her little sister and get beating up for calling the police just to try and save her sister get beaten up and being threatened to be killed the story was just really powerful and setting it in the 1960s ghana was a great way of you know bringing our fashion Mm -hmm. our music our live band just try to mix all of those arts this very heavy story incredibly powerful performance and again you know doing the work of humanizing stories that we often read about and i think particularly in ghana i think arts and the seamstress of St. Francis was se- was definitely a piece. I didn't know that. I didn't know it as a piece of work, other than the context in which mm-hmm. it was performed in in Ghana. And I was moved. I was incredibly angry, but I was also angry at the ways in which women hold each other responsible for the sexual criminality of men, yeah. and how they're encouraged to do that, which consistently enables perpetrators to walk untroubled by the damage they have caused in the world. And I wonder for you, within the Ghanaian context in particular, where we're in the midst of this global movement around holding perpetrators accountable. We're seeing it with the Time's Up movement in the the US, which is literally saying to those men who abuse in positions of authority, Time's Up. In Ghana, we have the hashtag Time's Up GH movement that right now is being attached specifically to the teachers and the education system, to teachers, head teachers, heads of department who are sexually violating students who are abusing their positions of authority and saying to them, time's up. And I wonder for you as an artist and an activist, 
what it would mean to shift the lens so that perpetrators felt the weight that you talk about feeling as an actress playing the role of a woman who has had that experience. And it feels, certainly here in Ghana, as if perpetrators walk lightly Mm. because they don't have to confront either the damage they cause or the law for what they've done. Mm. During the staging of Until Someone Wakes Up, actually I had one audience member come up to me and say that her rapist was in the audience. Yeah. And he couldn't watch it fully. He left because it was too much for him. She walked it too much for him. Out. Yes, it was too much for him. I think there was uh, two or three scenes where the, the character playing the rapist or being narrated sounded very similar to what he'd done and he he couldn't handle it and he walked out and i just felt a moment of yes i'm glad you came i'm glad you came into this space where you thought you can still walk into and you still felt uncomfortable because like you said we don't know about most times they walk and when it comes to the law when it comes to police it's another thing altogether but on an ordinary friday night you thought you were just going to see a play and you couldn't finish seeing the play because you're reminded about yourself and I'm, I'm definitely sure that it would it would make him think it would make him it would make him feel things even if for just that day was was kind of like my retribution you know as I was I was glad for that to happen but yes most definitely I always say I don't want drama queen's place to be I don't want you to come and feel comfortable come and feel very very uncomfortable with some of the things that we would try to probe into and 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 make you feel it's not wishy-washy feel-good theater no come and be like whoa this is this is real and am i part of this if i am what did i do how do i change how do i you know so yes hopefully i'm planning on doing more plays that would that would have perpetrators have to question themselves but thing is now trying to make them sit in the room you know and be there and then have a conversation about it openly afterwards because i think there was this thing you said at a recent conference about it's not just about jail time too because it's it's more than that we are talking kind of like rehabilitation having a real conversation about what made you feel it's okay to use this power over someone else you can just be in jail but no one will have those conversations with you but sitting down to actually engage theater is one way to start that and then now you sit down to ask yourselves like why did I feel I had the right to take over someone else's body? What was going through my mind? What notions do I have as a man? What notions do I have as a woman? And how did this affect me and how I acted? You know, What's powerful for me about that is in Ghana, I think it's very easy to be a perpetrator and not consider yourself one. Yes. Because of the absolute lack of consequence when it comes to sexual violence, the normalization of sexual harassment, and the idea that women's bodies are service and currency and available to you in whatever form, and that there's so much protection of perpetrators by both men and women right across society, from family to law enforcement, within schools, within work. There's such a normalized thing that I can really imagine it may not be as hard to get perpetrators in the room as you think, because I don't think that they think of themselves as perpetrators. That's the beginning of the, the challenge. And so what I appreciate about the arts and activism that Drama Queens is doing is there are, there are people who may be being introduced to themselves as perpetrators yeah. 
for the first time. For the first time, yeah. Because I think what art can be is the most uncomfortable mirror, right? Mm-hmm. That holds a mirror to the ugliest parts of ourselves and then allows you to see it in a way that is unseen when it's a debate or a discussion or, or, or media. And I think certainly in Ghana, because what normalization means is that, oh, it wasn't anything. So when you tell a man that it wasn't anything, then he just goes on his, goes about yeah. his way. And so you don't get to sit and listen to the toll of your actions on the life of that young girl or young boy. And it's predominantly young women and the perpetrators are predominantly men, but also young men and the perpetrators who are both men and women. Mm-hmm. And I think that what Drama Queens does in particular that is different than other art that I've seen is about putting in our face that part of this rape culture and making the mirror fragment and shatter, but requiring us to continue to pay attention and and, and stare in the mirror. Because I don't think a lot of perpetrators would think of themselves as perpetrators. We also have a massive issue here in Ghana with gang rape. Yeah. And in, of course, this digital media, more and more videos are being circulated of gang rape. And you see how much the last one was at Christmas time. And you saw a group of young guys from as young as 13 and 14 to 18 and 19. And they're laughing and they think it's hilarious. There's absolutely no thought or thinking about the young women. Mm -hmm. Then you see them engaging in jail. The point that I think is important to hear in Ghana is that jail doesn't necessarily change the behavior. It makes people more careful about how they're going to do what they're going to do. But it doesn't necessarily change the behavior. I mean, there's a global argument about how incarceration helps or hurts. Talk to me a bit about what kinds of work you would like to see to do this shift of having the perpetrators face themselves through art on a stage. There's this phrase I heard, I think in 2016, called restorative justice. So what happens is, this case, the the person who introduced it to me was talking to me about how they were dealing with gangs and murder in New York. And what they would do is they would have the murderer, the person who killed someone, actually sit across the person's family in a room and then they he he or she listens to the family and what they felt and how they're still feeling because of the fact that they've lost this person because of the gang member's choice to shoot, you know, or, or, or some kind of whatever kind of violence. I feel with rape, it will be so much more powerful. I guess theater, arts would be the very first conversation of just seeing, hearing, and then actually sitting down, if you can, with the person you harmed, hear exactly why and where it hurts and how it may continue to hurt. And then also, it's not a one-sided conversation. You also have to do the talking. You who did the perpetrating of the act, you also have to do the talking. Question yourself. Go go through all sorts of... So obviously, this will be moderated by, I don't know, a psychologist, someone with some kind of experience. Just to have both people actually have a real conversation on on everything, on your feelings, your emotions, and, and probe why you feel it was okay to act the way you acted. And I feel that will be one step of, of bringing more constructive change because, like you said, just jail time 
people will just be smart about how not to. And even going to jail here in Ghana, it may not exactly be helpful. Maybe you can get punishments by being locked up and having to do hard labor. But the fact is, you may go in and still learn other kinds of dangerous behavior, you know, and come back and still have, you know, still carry that. So it, it needs to go beyond jail. It now has to be a real conversation on attitudes of rape, attitudes to rape. Why do I rape? Why do I feel this way? And it starts with a gender conversation. You mm-hmm. know, it really does start with a gender conversation. And and um, what we've taken as as normal, as what a man is supposed to be, what a woman is supposed to be, what someone who doesn't identify as either is forced to be, and then start from there, I guess. So talk to me a bit more about Just Like Us and your vision with it and what you sought to build. This was a heavy play. I started by writing, taking monologues and poetry from people in the Ghanaian LGBT community. So some people sent me voice notes of specific experiences that happened to them growing up or in high school or in current relationships or just the general homophobic society. Some of them actually did send poetry, which I did not touch, but had the actors act out as monologues. And obviously, because of the contents of the play, it was lover difficult to get anyone who would act, to get anyone who would be a part of the production in any way, technically. I had actors, artists I totally respect and admire telling me no because they do not believe, and I quote, in the LGBT agenda. Like we're trying to make everybody gay or something. And I thought that's, that's part of the experience of it. I mean, that, that, that says a lot. That's part of the story of making this play. But luckily, I was able to get four actors who had no problems with the issues. But then we did have to have the conversation with them during the during acting, during rehearsals. And one of the actors did actually say he also really does not believe in this whole LGBT thing, thing he said, <laughs> but he's coming to it as an actor who has been given a role, a job to do. And he was being honest, and which was great because it was supposed to be an honest conversation. And that way we actually did open up you know about so you've read this monologue you are acting this monologue you've you've heard this person's story uh, and the other actors too amongst all of us we said i have a conversation with him about african lgbt the real stories that happen the fact that there there are people who are lgbt and the spectrum does exist but we are all taught of a spectrum as just a binary and and that's because he was honest he was open to all the information that came to him so even with this, at the end of the play, this is where we have one person who would say he was homophobic before, now say he's not. He now better understands it. And that's where even my work is done before we even stage the play, you know? So yes, Just Like Us was heavy. There was no comedy in it. There was very little humor, if there was any at all. And it was real life stories of LGBT people where they talked about trauma and there was sexual pleasure between man and man, between woman and woman. There was a monologue on sex work, a sex worker who does not identify herself as bisexual, but she has had sex with a woman and enjoyed it and but it was largely about sex work and the rights of sex workers and there was this very heavy monologue and this was one that moved me and moved the actor all the time whenever we rehearsed so in this monologue it was this was a based of poetry that was sent to me by a gay friend and he was basically speaking to his family his mom his dad his friends and the church just telling them um, what goes on in his head 
with how they react to him being gay. Obviously, his dad wants him to be more manly. And he's also here questioning whether he can tell his mom, even though he can sense his mom knows that he is actually more feminine. And then there's the bit where this has happened to a lot of gay men I know in Ghana, where you get a lot of heckling and bullying, especially in high schools, by your male friends who, who are trying to punish you for not reaching this certain level of masculinity they expect you to express. So where we had the other actors heckle him, you know, call him all sorts of names, all sorts of insults, and that scene broke that actor every time we rehearsed it because it's it's true to life, you know. It's it was it was it was it was I felt evil as a director having him to do it all the time. But it moved the audience too. And it was it was fact, it was real. This is what a lot of gay men go through, this kind of, of heckling. It, it it breaks you down all the time whenever you see that. And if you're someone who is homophobic and you really do think this person is a all sorts of abusive names I don't want to repeat here. Anyone who sees that scene you cannot, you cannot just see that scene and still carry that hate and anger. You see that and be like, wow, this is another human being I'm hurting. And that's what this theater meant to do, this production meant to do. Just make mm-hmm. you, even if you do have that anger, when you see this, realize how you hurt someone else. I never meant to cause you trouble to The Spin, a one-hour weekly international all-women-of-colour podcast. I'm your host, Esther Amar. Our contributor this week is Nana Akosia Hansen, founder of Drama Queens, and this is our Living Legacy series. 
The Spin is brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium. I'm live in the BBC studios here in Laboni, Accra, in Ghana. We are on air across the United States in Arizona, Ohio, North Carolina, New Jersey, Mississippi, Texas, South Carolina, New York, Georgia, Iowa, and Massachusetts. We are on air in Ghana. We're on air in London on ABN Radio UK. And we're a podcast, so subscribe to The Spin One on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. One hour, global black women. We keep it fly. We honor the smart because smart is sexy. And sometimes art is the activism that moves, changes, engages and transforms. Political theater, powerful message, unapologetic, uncensored, unbowed and unbossed. Il était vraisemblable que tous les faux semblants de la farce humanitaire aboutiraient au néant. C'est une boule à facettes comme dans les discothèques, ça reflète à la lumière et sans elle du vent. J'aime les images fortes car je suis comme toi, le poids des mots et le choc des photos. Time to change the world cause I'm fed up We're gonna expose the wrong that's been going on There's people dying in the streets still In every city, lots of kids they be ill I live in Brooklyn, got boys all over Been around the world and you know that I know the good, the bad, the bien, the bad The good, the bad, the bien, the bad L'homme qui prend le microphone se nomme Solar Maître de la rime urbaine accompagné de comparses de gangstar A Paris en France comme dans la Rome antique Limite le mètre, mate le mètre, quand le chart accuse Limite le mètre qui millimètre après millimètre Jette l'intellect à des kilomètres It's your town, guru Crazy madness, it's all I see out my window It doesn't matter who's the president, yo I hate to tell you, but slavery is still in effect Haven't you checked? Us black folks, we ain't free yet I make a bet, if we don't let the truth out huh, Evil will win without a doubt And it's the good, the bad Le bien, le mal The good, the bad Le bien, le mal C'est le monde des affaires, OPA sur la misère, le réel menace, tralalala l'air, l'air de rien, je doute de l'existence des dieux, de l'existence du mieux, dans un lieu plus pieux, alors je prends de l'avance, en prenant du recul, car prendre du recul, c'est prendre de l'élan. I come in peace, but suckers always trying to front, so I gotta let them know, gotta let them know. Hey, 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 Chuck Berry of this rap skit, styles I mastered, many brothers snatched it up and tried to match it, but I'm still number one, everyday real, speak what I want, I don't care what y'all feel, cause I'm my own master My pop told me be your own boss Keep integrity at every cost And his home was Natchez Mississippi Did it like Miles and Dizzy Now we getting busy Bridging the gap from the blues to jazz to rap The history of music on this track Born in the game Discovered my father's music like French Searching through boxes of purple rain But my Minneapolis was the bridge Home of the super kids Some are well known, some doing bids I might have ended up on the wrong side of the tracks If pops wouldn't have pulled me back and said Yo, yo Yeah, I come from Mississippi I was young and running wild 
Ended up in New York City, New York, where I had my first child. That's me, y'all. I named the boy myself. Yeah. All the boys call him now. That's what's up. I told him as a youngster, he'll be the greatest man alive. Greatest man alive. So Let's Talk Consent is part of Drama Queens and it's an interactive and dynamic uh, workshop series on consent in high schools and universities. The specific aim, revolutionizing sex education in Ghana. It's a huge, tall order. How did you start it? Why did you start it? It started from rage, really. It started from deep rage. It started in 2016, and during that time, there was a whole lot of talk around the KKD issue. And So um, just very briefly, KKD is a yeah. personality here in Ghana who was accused of rape by a 19-year-old young woman who would then go on to face just an extraordinary level of shaming and slut-shaming and abuse from all sectors of society, social media, on air, online. I mean, the abuse was relentless to the point where having made a charge of rape, she withdrew the charge. I think it's very important to state she did not say she was not raped. She withdrew the charge because of the absolute sheer pressure that she was being put under because of the reaction by the public. So that was that case. Huge case. We actually heard about it in all over the world, actually. And I spoke to her personally and even... A year afterwards, I met her last year before she left Ghana. She actually not in Ghana right now. She, she left the country. Yeah, she left the country. She left. She left the country. The country. Yes. 
And just because of how we were having the conversation online and how media, traditional media houses that actually rule with a whole code of ethics abused all of that. Till today, you will still find that myjoinline.com still has a story with her name there and her picture. And other online sites still have her picture there and her name. And it really pissed me off. And there was a whole lot of talk that showed that people did not really understand consent. And I think it was one time I just lost it on a TV show because I heard that the alleged rapist was doing media rounds and being given media spaces to still talk about this issue and improve the brand, whatever that was. And that made me flip and I ranted on TV for the first time. When they took the cameras off, I broke down crying. And then I realized that, I mean, all of this is factors. People really do not understand consent because there is a non-existent sex education in our schools. For instance, my sex education was on HIV or pregnancy. And that's that's the gamut of, of sex education across Ghana. And that was, that was high school here in Ghana? That was high school here in Ghana. And so if you find someone who is now 30-something, 40-something, actually speaking this way, it, it really is they never ever had that conversation, ever, on consent. So that's why I decided, okay, let me... Um, start something small, uh, which was a workshop um, called Let's Talk Consent, so which gave you a whole sex education by starting with ideas of gender. We start from ideas of gender, man, woman, and then body ideals. Then we move to myths and misconceptions about sex, definitions and nature of sexual assault, rape culture, and then sexual health, which includes SDIs, use of contraceptives, where they are available, things like that. And we decided to have this conversation not with just girls, but to have it with boys as well, because rape culture needs both for for rape culture to exist. Um, so we do this in high schools, we do this in in universities, but I must say it's just it's the tip of the iceberg because what really needs to happen is for government, is for the Ministry of Education to take this on fully as part of a static curriculum across across board. For instance, where I got a lot of the modules is from one of these Montreal sex education packages, which mainstreams the idea of consent and sex education through literature, math, a whole range of subjects. So you're not just having in having it in one sex education session for the year and that's it. You keep hearing it across all other subjects and classes and other teachers. And something like that is a more sustainable way of running these consent workshops because if we are not invited to a school does that mean they do not get a conversation on consent which is another leg of the fight we should try to start which is to have the ministry of gender ministry of education involved in revamping this whole conversation on sexual education you know this specific idea of revolutionizing sex education here in Ghana which we kind of relegate to parents the internet and church. So it's abstinence, ignorance and misinformation. And teachers as well. And then bearing in mind that in Ghana schools, the research has showed that the age at which particularly girls become vulnerable to sexual violence is around 13, 14. So think about saying that the people whom you're going to be getting a sexual education from are the people that research shows are the most liable to sexually violate you. And so, again, it demonstrates how the normalization of sexual violence has eradicated the importance of a sexual education that is actually education. So because we attach, in Ghana, we attach this very specific moral code to sex and sexual pleasure, particularly with women, 
The idea is that, you know, if you're having sex, it's because you have a ring on your finger and you're having sex to procreate. The idea of pleasure is literally an alien notion. And one of the reasons I think Let's Talk Consent is so powerful that it includes boys and girls at its high school and university is because it actually allows young people to confront their own biases in ways that they're completely unaware of. Because you're raised so young to think of girls as currency and service and for boys to be the recipients of privilege in ways that are just unchecked and unquestioned. And so I know from just doing events here in Ghana, sitting on panels and speaking to men, and when you describe an act of sexual violence, they will give you caveat after caveat after caveat. Well, no, I know it was violence, but. No, I know what you're saying, but. No, I know what you're trying to say, but. And so I'll say to them, okay, but you're not able to just say that it was violence. You're not able to just honor that it was violence. And so I think Let's Talk Consent, because it's a conversation, allows for the expression of that ignorance to be transformed into an understanding that can help transform behavior. And of course, as you say, the point is to standardize it. And part of the challenge with standardization is it requires a society to take sexual education and therefore sexual violence more seriously than it does and recognize that perpetrators come from all, all shapes and forms, all statuses, all families, all types of people. There's no particular barrier, border or, or boundary. Some of the things you confront in running the workshops, what kinds of attitudes are you coming across, either that surprise and make you feel optimistic or ones that also make you think, Lord, we've got a long way to go? Honestly, running these workshops, we, we go as young as 9, 10, I think, uh, at some of the schools. And you realize, like I said, it always starts with gender. And because it always starts with gender, you realize we are, we are breeding rapists Oof. without knowing. We, we are, are we are breeding rapists. misogynists, we are breeding rapists, we are breeding entitled rapists, you know, who would never call it rape because this is what they've been told about their boyhood or what their boyhood leading to manhood should look like. And we are breeding potential victims to also always silence whatever it is that happens. For instance, in in every in a lot of high schools you go to, there's always a conversation on playing hard to get and saying no and saying yes. You find that often both girls and boys would definitely say, oh, when you hear a no, it does not always really mean a no. If it's a girl, she's, she's just playing hard to get is a notion. And it's a fact that girls are told they're supposed to be playing hard to get. And this is something girls get as young as 12, 13. And they're already enacting these very problematic ways of their sexual lives, even before they hit ages where they can be fully sexually active. And this is where it starts, you know. Already a 14-year-old boy knows that if a girl says no, do not hear her no. Because... I mean, you're entitled to go on. She's supposed to say no anyway, but she really means yes because you're the king, you're the god, and you get what you want. He already knows this at 14. So how would he not think this at the age of 50? Also, this notion of slut-shaming, I find that there's always a girl in the class who's been labeled as the bad girl, the spoiled girl. She's the one that boys have taken passes at, you know, so she's seen as as cheap, the slut. You find that other, and this is how girls also learn to perform their femininity, you know. 
other girls would put would place themselves next to her as better that this is how not to be but we are these virgin girls who can find husbands to get married to eventually and this is all at the age of 12 13 14 even before they get to their 20s these are the the gender notions that are given to them from their parents mm-hmm. given to them from their their teachers and and their the the society at large their music videos the films they watch we usually run this session on pop culture street language and sexual representation and esther it would it would blow your mind the new swear words i've discovered from 13 14 year olds (laughs) around sexual activity around boys around girls i never knew what a thought was till i went to one of the high schools and found out thought you know t-h-o-t it's like oh wow you know i thought we were just that slut but it goes even deeper. And it just tells you that as it goes deeper, patriarchy goes deeper even there. And it gets even more complex. You find more ways to speak that language of patriarchy, both boys and girls, you know. So it can get contentious. When you have certain teachers in a class with high school, sometimes the teachers want to be there first, you know, be there in a class with us if we're new, you know, to have these conversations. And when the teachers are not in agreement with your your gender theory and because they themselves perpetuate the idea of what a boy and man is supposed to be or a woman is supposed to be. But then eventually when you do have that conversation and just speak the language of rights and humanity and dignity, you know, it's, it's, it's heartwarming to, to have a girl come up to me and be like everyone in the class says uh, me being a feminist is a bad thing, but today I'm going to be a feminist. I'm going to speak out against sexual violence and no that really means no. And when a boy will come up to me and be like, these girls always say no, but now when they say no, I don't mind them. I'll just go, you know, even if she really wants it, she should actually be actively saying yes. Like him changing his mind now can always get it makes me feel, okay, there's hope, you know. We are scratching the tip of the iceberg, but I hope they can spread the message or have that as they go through the world. Maybe they are the next education ministers to maybe bring that change just because they had a consent education at 14. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. Everybody got choices. Obian in your person, you stand for your own. So me kinda won't feel ya, but more than can know. So we need you won't so I but more than say yes. Everybody got choices. This will be an in your person, you stand for your own. So me kinda won't feel ya, but more than can know. So we need you won't so I but more than say yes. Consent education at 14 years old. It's definitely the way forward. Arts and activism revolutionizing sex education here in Ghana. And then seeing all the ways in which rape culture is connected globally and that the lessons that boys and girls are taught so young manifest in ways that hurt and harm, but also that there is activity there that is about healing and change and reimagining success, which is also about reimagining masculinity, reimagining femininity. And I would say in Ghana, reimagining virginity and what that even means and, and recognizing that pleasure is power but so is permission. Mm-hmm. So is permission. With your permission Tonight I wanna be a little me on you Oh yeah, yeah. It's your permission Regin, don't cut me off when I'm gone Clap, 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 cl
That's your hour. Thank you to Nana Kosi Hansen. Thank you very much. Thank you to the Spin Production team, sound editor David McKeever, a.k.a. McKeever Magic, and distributor Loretta Rucker and the AAPRC. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. This is Living Legacy, a series of conversations on the spin, your hour of global talk, where smart is sexy. I'm your host. Esther Alma. Some people do it comically, preach the freedom, equality. Invest your money properly, people owe me your policy. Intellectual property, stealing, stolen, commodity. Souls controlling, robbery, cold, lack of commodity. Clones, copycats, bother me, mine on black, just follow me. Honestly, 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 all these jokers economy. Puppets with no autonomy. Yup, it's food, you can me. I see you looking, but you better take it easy. Tell your goons that they better take it easy. Here comes the rocket launcher, take it easy. Take it easy, you better take it easy. Too much ex mommy, take it easy. Good with the sex, you be like, take it easy. Mommy, take it easy. Take it easy, you better take it easy. You moving bricks, but you better take it easy. Here's a tip. You too flash. I don't tip twice, but your best friend he DT. And that dog sniff in the bag ain't lassie. And I ain't rhyme in a minute, but y'all ain't catch up. And I ain't blood on your shirt, man. That's ketchup. Picture cleft, getting a writer to give him help. I'd rather kill myself, become a ghost, and write for myself. Cause I'm the top celebrity, top celebrity, top celebrity in the sea. I flow for the thugs, gypsies, and hippies. Yeah, a ghetto maestro with a nat turn of flow. Malcolm X come out, hit the Ku Club show. I see you looking, but you better take it easy. Here comes the rocket launcher. Take it easy. Take it easy. You better take it easy. Too much ex mommy. Take it easy. Good with the sex. You be like, take it easy. Mommy, take it easy. You know originals get plagiarized, majors, minors, my supervisors, climbers get scooped, and I applicators blind and stupid guys. Wicked people choose homicide, drugs, and society. Heathen, the records, bogus, misleading, and nigger, never on the reading. And Antonitos, Colibrid, and Chico, Chica's completing them. Addiction, fiction, bleeding them. Capitalism, misunderstanding, cheating them. The ignorance, defeating them. Loyalty is leaving them. Got royalty, believing them. Eyes open, deceiving them. Reconciling, receiving them. Reckless driving, we leaving them. Matthew, and you a Peter. We about to reconcile, reckon, reckon, reckon. We about to reconcile, we about to reconcile, we have to reconcile, reconcile and come again, I thought I wasn't coming. Yeah, right. Been in LA, few flicks, few millions. Back with the Fuji food, fighting for a few billions. Dub play villain, some boy chilling. Any we get, we boy, let cash for me, villain. Angela, Simone, Michelle, you know them willing. Can't fight the feeling when I pull in the SLR. Every girl loves the ghetto superstar. Real hip hop like pinstripe leads. And I got love for my crew, like big half for C's. Pull and squeeze on these MCs. Man, I don't really want to do it. Take it easy. I see you looking, but you better take, take it easy. easy. Tell your goose that they better take, take it easy. Here comes the rocket launcher. Take, take it easy. Take it easy. You better take it easy. Too much ex mommy. Take it easy. Good with the sex. You be like, take it easy. Mommy, take it easy. Take it easy. You better take it easy. We got El Boogie in the house. Croswell in the house. Clef. Big Row, I see you in the back. Let's get this thing started. Let's stay focused, 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 focused. Oh, if you don't know what's going on, man, the Fuji's is back on the street. Serious thing right now. You scared yet? Pack the dippy dippy dub box.
This program has been brought to you by the African American Public Radio Consortium, NPR Distribution, and the Public Radio Satellite System.